Good afternoon and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines and the stories that make New Haven tick. A lot of people, when they talk about what makes New Haven tick, they think what makes us special is pizza or having a school where right-wing Supreme Court justices study before they destroy the country. But in fact, one thing you could say about New Haven and no other city in Connecticut is that we have public financing for mayoral races. We run clean funded races for mayor we've been doing it since the first decade of this century and today there's a new report out we're going to discuss about how it's all going the democracy fund is the agency that administers our public financing program and we have the uh administrator of the democracy fund ali heimer and two of the board members sarah fika and aaron good here to talk to us about this new report and do it check in with the health of public financing and clean elections in New Haven. Good morning, everyone. And thank, I mean, afternoon, and thanks so much for coming on air. Thank you for having us. Good to be here. All right, we got Aaron Wade in there. I want to make sure we heard everybody's (laughs) voice before we go on. So here is the title of the blockbuster. New Haven Democracy Fund Progress and Metrics. It's written by Zoe Becker, and it covers the last 12 years, six election cycles with uh, public financing. How did Zoe Becker come to write this, and who is Zoe Becker? So the board uh, went, let's step back one step. Uh, Last year, the board was invited to go to Albuquerque, New Mexico for a conference of public finance administrators. Really? Nationally, yes. Um, And one of the things that we talked about at that conference, which Aaron Good and I both attended, um, was metrics for success of public campaign finance programs. Um, And considering that the Democracy Fund had been around for about 15 years, we felt that it was time to sort of look at the program and see what our metrics showed us what you know what successes had we had what successes should we be aiming for um and you know what are some of the areas where maybe we weren't you know being as effective as we had hoped or that we wanted to be so zoe uh was our data analyst she's a senior at bodwin university out of maine she responded to um a you know request for uh, a summer position um, to do some data analysis um, and as a result came up with this paper um, after doing analysis for about three months um, and was paid through the Democracy Fund to do that work. It was kind of fun to look through this report because having filed this issue starting with the ethics scandals in City Hall in the 90s and there's a response to that the way business was done in all cities not just New Haven where the person who is getting a, co- a no-bid contract from the city that's very controversial will also be the campaign finance chairperson who will raise large contracts from people who, contributions from people who do business with the city. It didn't just happen in New Haven. We, you know, but because it became a scandal in New Haven, we, our legislators decided to try to put together public finance, try to make it work, which is hard in the details. It's all good in concept. It's hard in detail. In our program, maybe if one of you could just tell the basic rules, if it, because of Buckley versus Vallejo, a Supreme Court decision that, said that giving money is free speech you can't stop someone from giving a lot of money to a campaign but you can put rules to give public money for people who agree to abide by the rules we have a voluntary opt-in system Mm -hmm. so what's the most if you opt in and say i'm going to get money from the government to run my campaign what do you have to agree to do Uh, So there's a couple of things that we ask you to do. Um, The first is that we ask you to limit your contributions from individuals uh, down from the state maximum, which is $1,000, to $445, so a little less than half. 
Um, we ask you not to accept contributions from special interest groups, from political action committees, PACs, um, from you know other outside entities, contractors, businesses, um, to only accept contributions from individuals, um, and in and to to make sure that you record every single contribution on your campaign filings. You don't lump them together into a small donations category. Um, and so, because you know we're asking for that limitation, and we're asking you for maximum transparency into your records. Um, in exchange, we match the first $35 of every contribution from a registered New Haven voter, um, two to one. And we also provide a grant after you achieve ballot access of $23,000. Another, another thing that we require candidates is to participate in a debate. Correct. This is really important. But, you know, Aaron, tell me if you guys have noticed this, any of you. Is it your sense that it used to be if you ran for office, it was kind of understood you're going to debate? Sort of a norm of life. Like you go, okay, I'm gonna, I remember talking to some politicians tell me, okay, I know I have to do a debate. Do people, if they're not in the democracy fund, still feel they need to? Because I've been shocked sometimes when people ask us to hold a debate and the other people say, I don't need to. I'm not going to lose. So I don't want to like get up there and have to talk to people. Yeah, have I, you think, I think that pe- people you that trend. I, 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 absolutely, and I think you have a few things going on there. One is people feel like they can get out their message in other ways, like through through social much media, much more effective than they used to. Yeah, or you know, um, just posting on social media or doing a podcast or things like that. I mean, I think you you see that in in the presidential race. I mean, you see it at all levels. I mean, DeSantis from the beginning has said, even as governor, I don't really have to talk to anyone I don't want to talk to. I don't have to answer any questions. I don't want to answer. Yeah, you, you, you're just speaking to partisan media and, and, and in, in an echo chamber. I think another thing you see going on is, uh, you know, certain groups like, for example, League of Women Voters, which used to moderate a lot of debates and still does at the local level in Connecticut, for, for various reasons has come to be perceived as taking stands on issues or being partisan. Because so you see a, with their old definition of partisan is that you should let everybody be heard and you should have civil debate which is now considered i guess a partisan position well i mean with respect to the league specifically they are scrupulously nonpartisan, but they do take stands on certain issues in ways that are perceived they want people to vote and there's now one party that's coming against that (laughs) well that you know they're like for gun control so if if you want to perceive that as supporting one party um you can certainly see it through that lens but I, i mean the larger issue is that some of the sort of traditional gatekeepers or kind of um, groups that would moderate or set up these debates have been caught up in the kind of very polarized atmosphere that we, we have in society. And, and that leads to people rejecting the idea of a, of a fair moderator and, okay, I'm not going to participate in these debates anymore. Well, we're talking about public finance and clean elections in New Haven, the people from the Democracy Fund and their new report, Democracy Fund Progress and Metrics here on Dateline New Haven, WNHHFM. So here are some of your fine takeaways. As I understood the takeaways, it can condemn to two words. It's working. People are participating in the system. Not everybody. But what strikes me is an incumbent who could raise a lot more money feels he's, he needs to participate. In 2011, John DeStefano created the funding part, did not participate because he felt he had a strong opponent, so he'd raise more money by being able to hit up contractors for more money. But... We have incumbents participating, and you found out that people who participate raise 28% more in in-town donations than people who don't participate. So that means if you're running public, you could raise more money from people in New Haven than if you don't. Is that the conclusion, or is that not a cause and effect? 
Well, so one of the things that we do is we reward candidates for raising money from registered right. New Haven voters. And so we incentivize them to talk to people locally. So it looks something. So that 28%, does that include the match? Or is it just that they pay more attention to local people so they can get that match? That's, that's just the sheer number of individuals. And, yeah. and how do you compare that? Is that the total number raised in town from used to be? Or is it more than the people who don't participate? What does twenty eight percent more mean? Yeah, so so I can I can take that. So what we what the study found, um, what the report found is that for participating candidates, ninety percent of the both the the number the donations the individual donations and the total amount raised is coming from within New Haven. Mm-hmm. So it's like ninety percent of the total amount raised and ninety three percent of the number of donations. Okay, and that's it. And what the twenty-eight percent is comparing that to non-participating candidates, where you find it's just above half of the the total amount raised for non-participating candidates is coming from New Haven. In other words, almost half of the amount of money raised by non-participating candidates is coming from the suburbs. From Hartford, is that we want people from New Haven deciding what who runs and how they run having more influence than people who aren't from New Haven that they're just coming here to make a buck is that sort of the well, idea the, the specific goal when they created the democracy fund was to give New Haven residents more control over the mm-hmm. election of their mayor not let a person come from out of town and say because I work for let's say a big national consulting firm I can raise a lot of money and buy the office with the agenda that people gave me that money yeah, most of the donations that are coming from outside of New Haven. Well, for, number one, the study actually looks at this, and it shows that for non-participating candidates, sixty-four uh, percent of the total amount raised uh, is coming from donations larger than four hundred and forty-five dollars. So a lot of their money is not just coming from outside New Haven, but it's coming in very large chunks. Right, and I think the participating candidates in the 12 years have raised over $5 million in campaign contributions under 445. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying, Aaron, is that the other people, that the contributions are larger. Yeah, and... and they still have to be 1,000, right? A thousand they get, can they get PAC money, though, unlimited? Uh, there are limitations that are set up by the state, but they can accept money from political action. Is it still a thousand, or is it can, can it get I believe more? Believe it's fifteen hundred for a municipal race. Okay, so why does that matter? Because some people would say nowadays a thousand versus forty forty five is not such a big deal. Well, it's the number of voices in the conversation, right? Like, mm-hmm. so if you look at the report, you know, over the past you know ten fifteen years, um, the candidates ha- who are participating and the candidates who are not participating seem to have raised about the same amount of money. But the difference is that for non participating candidates, it came from sixteen hundred sixteen thousand total contributions, mm-hmm. right? But for participating candidates, there were 47,000 voices involved mm. in that in that donation. Um, you know, so you're multiplying. Although some of those people double, triple counted, right? If someone gave to. I mean, some people do donate multiple times. Yeah. Um, but still, your point is well taken. It's a lot more people. But, but the same people who are going to donate multiple times to a participating candidate might donate multiple times to a non-participating yeah. candidate. And, and that's a, it's a deeper level of civic engagement when people are making a small donation. Mm. Uh, I mean, we want everybody to vote, obviously, and, and that's an important aspect of civic engagement. But when somebody gives a donation of $10, 25 $50, they're, they're deepening their engagement in the political process. So we see that, and, and other public financing programs across the country use that as a very important metric. The number of 
registered voters who are also getting engaged in the process as donors. So since we've uh, you know adopted public financing in New Haven, we've we've been able to raise that percentage from less than one percent to like three percent of our registered voters are now donating in campaigns, and no. we see that as a sign of of the Democracy Fund promoting more robust civic engagement. In I wanted community. to ask you about that. So we kind of be in nonprofit media, they often say they want us to raise, they use a similar argument to yours, Aaron, in nonprofit media. They say they want us to raise a lot of small donations just to have people invested. So is the idea, if you're giving 10 to $25, you're more invested, you're going to pay more attention? Because some people would say that it's not about money. Some people would say it's about voting and showing up to debates or talking to people or volunteering at campaigns. But your argument, similar to the media argument, is if someone shells out a small amount, they might not have a lot of money. That's showing they they're, have more of a stake in an election? Yeah, I mean, we see that as empowering them. And, and just to go back to what you said before about the takeaway being that this is working, I mean, I agree with that. Um, but there are some conclusions in the report that show that there's more work that we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the D- Democracy Fund has not solved the problem of political inequality in New Haven of certain well, we'll more get affluent to that one, neighborhoods. What, what neighborhoods, yeah, yeah. It, but I mean, the 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 point is that um, you know, the, none of these problems are easily solved. There's no magic bullet solution. Um, there are some changes that we probably should make with our program to create an even deeper well, what level issue of is the Buckley versus engagement. Vallejo the fact that you can't require people to participate how does one address that problem is how how big a deal is that that someone well though we found in this election the candidate who did not participate who brought in larger checks from out of town ended up raising less money than the people who participated I found that very interesting I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with public perception, right? When you have public buy-in into a program like this, Mm. then, you know, the people basically tell somebody who's interested in running for office, if you want to be considered as a serious candidate, you should participate in the program. Mm. It's beneficial to you. You will most likely, and in almost every single instance, raise more money overall if you participate than if you don't. But also, we're going to view that as a measure of you know, political literacy. Do you understand the program? Are you willing to do the things that are required of this program, of participation, that, you know, we value, like keeping really good records for your (laughs) financial, you know, expenditures and and fundraising, right? And so as a result, you know, it's now become more and more the default to be a participating candidate than to not. That is interesting, yeah. Well, I, I just said, one of the other things that we require in addition to participating in debate is we require that candidates file electronically into the state's ECRIS database, which is mm-hmm. a much more transparent mm-hmm. uh, system for people who want to look at who's giving to who, not just in New Haven, but across the entire, entire you know, state. You know, to Ali's point, I've noticed that about the default. So I've talked, to, you know, off the record, I'm not going to name everyone, of course, or give clues, but... You know, politicians say to me, you know, well, if I participate, does that help me or hurt me? On the one hand, I'll get public money. On the other hand, I can't raise all this money I think I'm going to raise it from other people. How much does the public recession matter? How much do the people care and who cares? Like what kind of voters are going to care? You know, Sarah, you've seen this question from both sides. You've been, mm-hmm. you're on the board of Democracy Fund. You've worked on campaigns. How do you think that gets viewed inside campaigns? Is there a sense that, it helps you more in the money you might give up by not getting a bigger check 
you'll get more support from people who see that and you might even raise more money in the end? Yeah, from a branding and marketing perspective, I think the candidates that do choose to participate see that benefit. Uh, the fund has been around long enough that the types of people who participate in a mayoral election um, in a city that, let's be real, normally goes with one political party. So you have a lot of people who don't feel like they want to even bother showing up to vote or participate because they assume a Democrat is going to win no matter what in a city like that. Um, what is the motivation for an average citizen to care about the race? And I do think that buying into the democracy fund candidates do make that decision. It's, it's good marketing and branding. It's the people who choose to participate in primaries in New Haven do put a value on it. Mm -hmm. so, so you think it's valid on both sides. So that's yeah. in some ways that's a non-metric evidence of success. I, I think it's also um, an interesting tool that people use when they're fundraising. Right. Because Come on, we want to make the democracy fund. We yeah. want to make sure that we can get our 200 individuals from New Haven. We want to make sure we can raise our $5,000 and, you know, get get our match, get our grant, help us do this. And and not even, I mean, you mentioned, you know, trying to raise small dollar contributions from people for the radio station or for, you know, the, the independent. And um, how much more successful are you when there's somebody willing to match those donations two to one? Right, which we have news match here. Right, and so you know there are tons of people who are like, well, you know, I'll give you the maximum matched contribution because you'll get two to one, and it, it makes my dollars more powerful. Um, and to and to Aaron's point about civic engagement. I saw in the report that in Hartford, fewer than zero point five percent of the people donate to campaigns. We're in New Haven, as we said, it's more than 3%. 3% still isn't that big a number. Well, there are other programs across the country that, you know, have better uh, return, better participation rates. Um, unfortunately, they have different formats for their public campaign finance. Do they have more competitive elections? Like in New Haven, we have, well, now we're going to move to four-year, so more is going to be at stake. Right. But, you know, the way it was kind of looked at by the people running for office is like, okay, every two years you're running. And a lot of years, you're not going to have serious opposition. But if New Haven's concerned about something, corruption in 99 and 2001, school reform in 2009, 11, about uh, wanting some change with that, to th 2013, a changing the guard after 20 years. And then other years, there isn't as much reason to participate. But the other cities are more participation is because they're more competitive. There are so many variables involved in voter turnout. I mean, we would love to have been able to show in this report that the Democracy Fund was leading to this inexorable rise in voter turnout in New Haven. But, I mean, as you suggested, there are just so many different things going on. There's corrupt, there's corruption scandals. And when the president's elections, we get some more number of people, they just care more about those elections, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have off years. You have all of these, these different variables. So there's just so much statistical noise is that we, you know, we can't, we, we think that there is a positive correlation between public financing and voter turnout. It's just, there's so much going on in the data that, um, you know, it's, it's hard to make that case. With, with there's why also do, why a lot going on at the national think, Why do you think there's a correlation? What do you base that on? Because people are literally buying in um, because there's you know, when you have uh, more conversations with more people. No, I get the theory, but then, I mean, is there any evidence about numbers and how you pick which campaigns to compare them to? You know, like you can't compare 2013 to 2005. You can't compare 2019 to 2021, you know. There. Um, I mean, there are some. So, so if you look at this 
you know, report that we put together, you will see that there are years where there are huge spikes, right? Um, and that there are huge spikes for non-participating candidates versus participating candidates because of who was competing in those elections. Um, and, you know, we, we don't really compare all of that weighted equally, um, but there, but by tracking the changes over time, um, keeping in mind the the different levels of competition in each of these races, you know, we do see certain trends. We're talking about trends with public financing, clean elections in New Haven with the folks in the Democracy Fund here on WNHHFM Stateline New Haven. Talking about participation, I'm also thinking of candidates. One of the goals of Democracy Fund was to enable more people to run for office and be able to mount a serious campaign, even if they're rich or don't come from a wealthy network of national consultants. And um, what, what do you see that with Sarah? Do you, do you feel like, because like, I've kind of, with a non-scientific way, felt that democracy funds had a huge impact. As I look at Jeffrey Carigas in 2011, who mounted a serious campaign against entrenched incumbent and kind of sent a message. I mean, it helped from the Unite Here people, which wasn't financial. But, you know, Liam Brennan uh, did did qualify in, in the democracy fund primary. What, what do you what do you think, Sarah, about in terms of if we're getting we're enabling more people to run, which is an important goal? Yeah, absolutely. As someone who lived in New Haven since the 90s and had personally a perception that there was no point in voting in the primary because I didn't have a voice or the Democratic choice was preordained in this Democratic town. I think that you have seen people wage pretty um, aggressive campaigns in the past couple of cycles and they knew that they could do that because they would be able to raise a certain amount of funds. And the idea is that even if you don't match them, you need a certain amount to run. Is there a sense of how much you need to run in New Haven for mayor to be a serious candidate? Is the democracy fund get you there? Well, I, I like the it, way that you have to meet certain benchmarks so it's yeah. not just everybody in the street can get it. The benchmarks are great because they demonstrate it, at least a base amount of support. I mean, it's no small thing to get uh, that many people to donate even $5 for your cause. That's a commitment. In terms of enough money, uh, Aaron or Allie, any sense of if this gives how much you need? How much do you need to win mayor in New Haven? Yeah, I mean, th there's there's been a lot of political science research on this, and I think the studies show, you, you know, to be competitive, you need about $2.50 or maybe $3 per registered voter. And how many registered voters do we have? I think we have 70, 74,000. And then how many Democrats? About half of that, a little more than half. A lot of folks in New Haven are unaffiliated. Okay. So and and that's to be competitive. I mean, you're never going to be able to. So you need a hundred thousand bucks in the primary. Hundred and fifty. Hundred and fifty. In general. And how much do you get if you're running? Uh, how much do you generally get if you get running? So from the Democracy Fund, you'll get a twenty-three thousand dollar grant for the primary, a twenty-three thousand dollar grant for the general election, but you also get matching funds. So for example. Um, in uh, this year's election, uh, Mr. Brennan, who you mentioned, received $36,000 from us. Um, Justin Elliker, who participated in both the general and the primary, received a total of 98000 So, it, And then how much did they get to were they able to get total while abiding to, by the limits, not just from the democracy fund? So they're also able to raise up to $445,000. Right. So how much did Brennan get total, do you know? But they don't raise that. I mean, they don't get up that high. Brennan raised over a hundred thousand on his own. So he got what he needed. This didn't limit him from getting the hundred thousand he needed. Yeah, he no, had, certainly not. He, he had enough to be competitive, and that's what we're trying to provide. Is we're not trying to provide an amount of money that's going to be equivalent to what an 
a hypothetical self-funding candidate who's incredibly right. wealthy, a Linda McMahon-type candidate. But you don't need that. I mean, it's like Dan Malloy. Well, we saw that over in our four gubernatorial elections with Republicans who self-funded. Ned Lamont self-funded, but Dan Malloy beat uh, Richard uh, Tom Foley, who self-funded. Right. And, and he was able to get enough money. Exactly. I mean, some of these candidates were outspent four or five to one by, like, Linda McMahon, who spent $50 million, right? But, but there's you, diminishing you, returns. It's, there's very, very rapidly diminishing returns. So what we're trying to provide is just the amount that you need to get your message out if you're a credible candidate. Okay, mm-hmm. we're not trying to get you to compete with the self-funders that they're allowed to spend as much as they want according to the Supreme Court, but we just want you to, to have the resources. And if you're a self-funder, that usually means you have no perspective on what you need to do and if you had to win anyway. <laughs> but that's another story with the Well, I mean, one, of, one of the things governors. that... That is Republicans. great about participating in the Democracy Fund is it really incentivizes you to talk to registered voters. Which has to do with debates. So if not for Democracy Fund, all the people who run do not have to go to a debate. So if you participate, you have to show up to one Democracy Fund debate to which you have some kind of rule by who gets to participate, which is a little tricky because mm-hmm. sometimes the people who you may be aren't going to really have a serious campaign. Might have to say Are you thinking of a particular not, recent debate? I'm actually, <laughs> no, I'm actually thinking of 2013 and one debate where two people who were long shots were nice people. Mm. You know, they, they sometimes got a little crazy and there were two out of four. It wasn't democracy. It was in the primaries and people kind of felt like I wanted to hear more from the people who were going to maybe win. But then you can argue sometimes that the long shots contribute so much. Like Wally Grigo ran for mayor in 19... Um, 90, 91, I think, or 93. And he really didn't have a good chance, but he had a lot of energy. But he raised some issues that changed, and then Kevin Skeet in general election changed how the incumbent governed because of the debates. He actually got um, mileage saying that we should put a mall in Long Wharf rather than downtown, which we then disagreed with later. But that's what the mayor then he was running against took that, or Kevin Skeet said we should sell our liens to our. Um, to the, the, the tax liens so that we can fund some big projects like Jersey City did. And then the mayor did that, and that got him in trouble too. So maybe democracy's but not so good. My inclination is, is is to err on the side of including the quote-unquote fringe yeah. candidates. I mean, the problem is like, at, at least nationally, the, the threshold used for inclusion usually is tied to polling, and we just don't have access to that in New Haven. But you say you have to make the, the ballot, which is, which is a fair, right? You have to make the ballot to participate? Yeah, I mean, it, it requires you to collect a certain number of signatures to have shown that you have, you know, boots on the ground, done some footwork, you know. It, it, there is a level of, of participation um, that should be required in order to not just have the stage be open up to anybody. Then Karen, and then Aaron, uh, cut him short before, this guy wanted to wait to the positive findings, then get to the challenges. He talked about the challenge of how you distribute the, uh, participation. 42% of the... Of the um, contributions have come from East Rock and Westville. Those are two neighbors, the big neighborhoods, but they're not 42% of the wards of the city. I think often if you throw in the East Shore, eight, uh, wards 18, 17, 18, a lot, like, a lot, that's also where a lot of the votes come from. I mean, basically Justin Ellicker is the mayor of East Rock and Westville. I well, mean, so we- what did you find out? Is that, so is the fact that Aaron pointed out that that means there's work left to be done, that so much of the money's coming from two neighborhoods, if so much of the participations come from those two neighborhoods, are you sort of in a catch-22 there? Well, as I said before, I mean, there's a lot more work that needs to be done, and there's, uh, there's no magic bullet solution. There's no panacea to the political inequality here. That said, 
42% coming from two. I think it's actually three. It's I mean, it's East Rock, Prospect Hill, and, right. and West Rock. And it, it, it's still better to have that, that those yeah. donations coming from New Haven residents rather than yeah. from developers and city contractors who live in and There's a lot more wealth in those Simsbury. Well, that's why part of the report was to do an analysis of the poverty rate in, you know, in conjunction with these donors. It also matters, you know, where the candidates are coming from. You'll see a big spike in the eastern, in the east shore contributions uh, in 2021 because John Carlson was a participating member. Um, and that's where he hails from. You'll also see, you know, no, he hails from City he's Point. From City, Point. City Point, but he, he gets but a lot of his support from Republicans. Th- that there, area. there are still Republicans in these shirts. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then you'll also see um, in uh, 2013 that there were more than usual um, contributions coming from Beaver Hills. Um, you know, because you had some individuals that were coming from there. You know, this past time around, there were more contributions that came from Beaver Hills because Shafika Dubusser lives, you know, on Winthrop. Um, so, Aaron, is that something we say is more work to be done, or is it just that the political system has more work to be done, and you guys are just in place so that people, if someone's running from Beaver Hills or the East Shore, they'll, they'll be involved? Well, we want to level the playing field even more. And if you look at how different programs are structured across the country, um, and you look at some of these cities like Seattle and now Oakland that are using these vouchers or what they call democracy dollars. Th- mm-hmm. That's what they were called when it was first put on the ballot in, in Seattle. They were kind of the pioneer in this. And I think they have been able to reduce this effect where you see this you know, negative correlation. So how does between the, how the democracy dollars work? So with the democracy dollars and, and, and uh, you know, um, Allie can take a crack on this as well because she was just at the... Um, you know, a public financing conference. And so I'm sure there's more fresh, fresh in her mind, but the way that it's structured in Seattle is they give every voter four $25 vouchers, right? They have no cash value, but you can distribute that to one candidate that you want, mm. or you can give them to different, different candidates. You said, but, tw- you said $250, uh, $25. So it's $100. But so even if you have no resources, you're, you're completely broke you're at the the bottom of the socioeconomic pyramid well, you're anyone, still I'm a mid, mid-level donor now. cheat that they do food stamps because someone buy them for you if you're junkie and half on the dollar so you can buy drugs and then somehow cast that in <laughs> uh-huh. that you would even think about that paul well, because, I know, because that's been happening but, in new haven with with uh no i've been noticing some stories lately i was looking into where like I, people do that with the with the food stamps it's kind of yeah i i don't i I don't know i i haven't seen any research about what the street value of these vouchers in (laughs) seattle but i don't think that's been a problem but what they have found in seattle is you know this is getting your donor rate up to like 10 percent, eight to ten percent of your registered voters so it's really really leveling the playing field and empowering those small small donors so i think if we had the resources to do that in new haven i think that would start to chip away at some of these these that's a great idea would you like us to do that yeah. And speaking of resources, you know that um, people can make donations to the Democracy Fund. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, Ali, will you? Yeah, sure. So um, we have one primary funding mechanism, which is through uh, a uh, allocation through the mayor's office and the board of alders. Um, but we take uh, income in other ways as well. And one of them is direct contributions to the fund. Um, and it is something that we're trying to explore in the future so that it's not just 
tax dollars that are going into funding our local elections, but that we're, you know, using some of the same principles um, as what we're espousing, and that's trying to get small dollar contributions from people in the community to who believe in the program. So maybe there's a millionaire out there who wants to finance Aaron's dream of democracy dollars yeah. and get that get going. We can demonstrate it for one cycle and get some data to show that it works. And it's a great idea. Yeah. So now one, another job you have on Democracy Fund is to make sure people follow the rules. And we had a case this time where one of the candidates participating in the fund very blatantly broke the rules. So you have a rule, and I'm just going to read it. It says that you may not, if you get money from the Democracy Fund, the money you spend, quote, shall not include, quote, expenditures to support or oppose any ballot measure. So there was a candidate got your money who put out a flyer that all it did over and over and over again was support a ballot measure. It didn't say vote for him for mayor. It didn't say here's a whole list of things I stand for in my platform, because, of course, you could do a platform. All it said was, vote for this ballot measure. So it wasn't a gray matter, even though he said it was. You were faced with a case with slam dunk. Someone broke your rules. You gave them money. The rules were there. They didn't do it. But then you voted five to one to say, no biggie, you didn't do a violate. Why, you guys are on the, why, why did you guys vote that? Because it wasn't a slam dunk. And um, what was, we, what, what, so if, the, if it says you should not spend money, quote, on expenditures to support or oppose any ballot measure, and the money was spent only over and over again on a flyer that says support this ballot measure, what's the so, gray area? So again, it wasn't a slam dunk. And, you know, we have a board that's made up of Democrats, real Republicans, because I know <laughs> there's been some questions about whether our Republicans are real. And I can assure you. From my personal conversations with my fellow board members, they are real. So um, there was a robust discussion, and it wasn't a slam dunk. And there were well, we don't know what the discussion was because you guys did it in private. Why no, in our second meeting, all of the issues were laid out. I think yeah. we went extensively over all of the legal and constitutional issues that were involved here, and all of the contextual the time you did, yeah. issues. So I think everything was 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 out and out in public in in the second meeting, and we didn't get a lot of public participation in that yeah. meeting. But I would urge people to go and look at the recording. So what was the gray matter? Because I'm still trying to figure it out. Because if this isn't a slam dunk, how can anything ever be a well, slam dunk? Can I just say one thing? That when you're dealing with potentially finding a political actor for the content of their political speech, that's a very, very, very serious issue that raises all kinds of First Amendment issues, constitutional questions. So there's really no such thing as a slam dunk. So what you're and saying here is that maybe, so maybe you can't have the rule. He technically violated the rule, but you're saying it might not be constitutional for you to put any rules. Well, that for me, that, that was a big issue that, that informed my decision is I had some grave questions uh, uh, like about some currently pending state constitutional cases right. markley v sec so you're about saying the validity of, so you're saying therefore if we give money you're you really can't stop them saying anything i don't think that's the case and i do well but what, isn't that what aaron just said it's not that you you can't stop them from saying saying anything i mean some regulation obviously is, is always valid but you you, you have to take it give incredible very very wide latitude right and there's specific legal tests that are set up in cases like fec versus wisconsin right to life supreme court case from 2007 Basically saying, you know, you have to give such wide latitude that if anybody could possibly interpret this as being an issue advertisement versus a candidate advertisement or a candidate advertisement versus an issue advertisement, if, if anybody could possibly plausibly interpret it that way, you have to give 
the benefit of the doubt to the candidate because this is protected speech and we, we can we have to not interfere with that. Right? So is there a need now to let people who donate to the Democracy Fund know that despite what we've told you for um, 15 years, if you give money to this candidate, they might not spend it to promote their candidacy. They might spend it to promote a ballot measure you don't agree with. Well, I think there were some other issues too, and Sarah and Allie can, can talk yeah. about those. I mean, the, there's a whole context about the candidate thinking that, that he was following um, That's the my advice dog ate that, the that he... I mean, who cares if he thought that? Well, so, th- th- there is an issue. I mean, we're generally not looking at intent. These are civil infractions, and yeah. intent is not really uh, part of it. But there, there is a larger context, and when you're talking about the candidate... Uh, you know, reaching out proactively to get certain to to get advice. Yeah, I mean, but that then did. He I said think someone inform- reached out who heard something, who heard something back. So he played telephone. He didn't have enough intellectual curiosity to understand it. Well, Is you may a- not buy it, Paul, but I there were Democrats, Independents, and Republicans on mm-hmm. our board who who mm-hmm. did buy that explanation. So I think that's important for the so public to know as well. So if I go and rob well. a store because I asked someone to ask the cops, "Is it okay if I rob on Mondays rather than Wednesdays?" and the guy. I misunderstood what my friend told me. But see, that's the thing. My intent was okay, so I can go rob the store on you, Wednesday. Well, he's not the, your friend. You you were paying him for the advice. Yeah. So he should maybe pay some other people. It's not your problem. So two things I want to clear up. One is that Allie is our administrator, so she yeah, doesn't she get yeah. to vote. It's only those of us on the board that get to vote. So people should know that, first of all. And secondly, there's way more nuance to it than that because we do have part of the rule where people can talk about their platform and so those of us on the board found ourselves in a position where we saw a candidate who did their due diligence to try to ask repeatedly and ask multiple different times multiple texts multiple different people are you sure i'm doing this correctly and they were advised that they were and there is the nuance that candidates are allowed to talk about their platform and so we as a board Again, Republicans, independents, and Democrats from across the spectrum did not feel like this was a slam dunk. And so that's then why are you going to keep this rule? Because this rule now says something specific. And you're basically telling me that you can't enforce this rule. So why is this rule still there? Well, so there's, there's two different things. The first is, is it possible that what he was trying to put out in that mailer was a position piece on a topic? Right. They don't necessarily have to have their entire position on a piece. You can say I'm pro this. I'm pro that. There were other things that were on the ballot that, you know, he may or some other candidate may have felt needed their own mailer. Um, And he did ask for, you know, people to vote for him as a candidate. His picture was on there. His logo was on there. And then on the top of it, he also did say, you know, people ask me what my opinion is. This is my opinion. The big slogan was vote this vote this over again vote this but in so case, if you were on the board you would have voted differently no no but but why you is know? this rule still here if well so there are a lot of rules you, in that document because this, that document hasn't been updated what, since 2009 so in if, the future when i give money on democracy fund mm-hmm. should i understand that and it's not a big deal i think it might be okay to put out that flyer personally but should i know from now on that this is not a rule that can ever be enforced so a candidate really can can put out that piece you know, we've been trying to make some changes to the ordinance for about two years now. Unfortunately, we have not had the opportunity to start that process and getting it, getting into the nitty gritty with the legislation committee, the board of alders, but changing that language to be a little bit 
uh, more specific to avoid this kind of issue in the future. Yeah, I think that is something that we'll be looking at. And it's a very tiny issue. I know I'm nitpicking here. Well, I, there, think the I mean, there are picture, other issues in that ordinance that yeah. haven't been resolved because it hasn't been changed since 2009. What else would you like to see changed? I would like to close close that exploratory loophole. Um, I would like what is that loophole? Where you can set up an exploratory campaign, spend all of the money from your account, and then start up as a Democracy Fund candidate. Uh, with zero dollars in your coffer, having spent however much you raised in exploratory and still be considered a good, clean, participating candidate. Um, there are other things mm-hmm. that are in that ordinance that have now been deemed unconstitutional. Um, you know, there's a there was a provision originally in the document that if somebody had gone over, spent more than the maximum uh, total allowed for a candidate that you know candidates could come back and request more dollars or we could you know raise the limits for their contributions um you know that has been deemed unconstitutional you know you can't you can't do that um so there's uh you know there are things in that legislation that you know aren't accurate anymore we also want to reset the contribution amounts you know we think that they're they've been adjusted for inflation they've been adjusted for inflation multiple times and 445 might be a little bit too much maybe we should go back down to 400 like it was a couple years ago and then start from there you know create a new benchmark so that it is again you know smaller dollar contributions what about other races any thought about um I don't know if we need alders, really, because there isn't much money in an alder race. We put together a pilot program concept for alders where it was basically a democracy fund pledge, where they would promise to do all of the financial filing and then basically get a, you know, a good government sticker. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then, you know, but, but you know, whether or not we want people to, you know, have grant money to run for alder is a, you know, concept that I, I don't think mo- big- many people would support. But we do want to include other citywide offices. You know, Board of Education should potentially be included, Registrar mm. of Voters, City Clerk. Um, those might all be things that people would be interested in. And we might get more, you know, uh, diverse candidates running for those offices if there was a program like this. Well, place. even though I gave you such a hard time for rolling over for Justin Elker, I think you guys did a great job as this report shows that... Uh, you're really getting a lot more people involved. We're the only one in the state. You were just in Kansas City talking about this. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I went to the uh, a conference on governmental ethics and law and was uh, invited to be on a panel with you know one of the program managers from Seattle, um, Maine's public finance program, uh, and Arizona's public campaign finance program, um, as well as the city of Albuquerque. And so we were talking about different program models, and I was representing uh, New Havens because we're the only hybrid system in the country. Um, So by that, I mean we provide matching funds and we also provide a grant. Many programs either do a single grant or they do matching funds. Some, like Seattle, do a voucher program. Um, And so we were representing our model and and there were other people, you know, across the country who thought that that model was really great because it means you don't necessarily have to give out a ton of money in matching funds. New York City, for example, gives out an eight to one match um, for your contributions. Wow. And then there are some programs that give out, you know, fifty to $100,000 in grants. And that, you know, is also incredibly expensive. But, um, you know, a hybrid program allows you to not give out as much money necessarily, but have the same or more impact because you're, you're asking for people to talk to many people and you're asking them to report cleanly. And what about like in Connecticut? Any hope now? You think with the scandal in Bridgeport, people, are anyone calling you up and saying, hey, you guys did a good job a generation ago when there were questions about ethics in New Haven. You did this first in the state, really successful democracy fund. Anyone calling you to say, help us set it up there? There have certainly been in the past, and, and people in Bridgeport have given us a call in past years. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, this year they're a little busy? or 
Seems, <laughs> seems like they might be a little busy. I'd heard in the past that that uh, Joe Gannon was actually was interested. interested. I know, but, I know, I heard that too. Yeah. Well, you know, we're we're hoping at some point to ha- host in New Haven a conference of uh, public financing administrators to kind of get out the publicity, get out the word about this to other cities in in Connecticut, and let them know that we're all about. Not just progressive civic experimentation, but also about pizza and lots of other great things. And the peanut. Because I would argue that the Democracy Fund and the peanut roundabout are the two most exciting, distinctive things that make me proud to be a New Havener. Amen. So keep up the good work. Spread the word. And how should people get involved? Uh, We do have an open board member position for a registered Democrat, Independent, or Republican, um, which is very, very rare. Um, Information is on the city website, and we have our monthly board meeting tomorrow night. Um, You can attend in person at City Hall or via Zoom. Where on the website will we find that info? Uh, Go to City of New Haven, uh, so newhavenct.gov, and then Democracy Fund is its own link. All right. Well, keep up the good work, folks. Thanks to Ali Heimer, Sarah Fika, and Aaron Good at the Democracy Fund. And the new report you can read, they'll be, we're going to put it in the Independent this week. You can read it there. I think it was a good read. New Haven Democracy Fund Progress and Metrics. Thank Thanks to Harry Dros for working the controls. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic Experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the Group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night long at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.